Hi, I'm Owen from Bite Size Irish Gaelic, and welcome to episode 30, Everetrocha, of the Bite Size Irish Gaelic podcast. Even if you're alone learning to speak Irish outside of Ireland, don't despair. Rest assured that there are thousands like you across the globe, all interested in tapping into Ireland's native culture. And for all about this podcast, go to www.bitesizeirishgaelic.com forward slash podcast. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Michael Carraher, and he's the president of the Irish Family History Forum on Long Island in New York. And he's also get like dabbling in a bit of learning to speak Irish Gaelic. He's a listener to the podcast and he's uh, getting involved with a meetup group in New York. So, Michael, how are you doing? Hi, good to talk to you. Yeah, welcome to the show. So, Michael, it was unfortunate. It was under bad circumstances that we probably almost bumped into each other because I'm in Limerick in Ireland and you were here recently in Ireland, weren't you? Yes. Uh, unfortunately, my most favorite aunt, Peggy Wall, passed away. She lived near Palaskindry, uh, County Limerick. And uh, even though my family is all from County Monaghan, my parents immigrated to New York in the 50s. My aunt moved back after you know marrying and having a family with someone from Limerick. And when I was a kid, I used to spend summers with her. So I was very familiar with uh, where she lived in Limerick and she's going to be greatly missed. No, I'm sorry to hear it, but those are very kind words that you said. So, Michael, bring us back to right now. Um, tell me a bit about this uh, meetup group in New York that's kind of getting going and you're you're helping to move it forward. So give me a bit of background there and how does it all work? Sure. You know, the meetup.com is organized by all different categories and then matched to location and having taken an intro course to Ireland and then having kids, it wasn't always easy to get out to a class. And I wanted to find other people that I could do hangouts with online or in person. And meetup.com seemed great for that. I've done other meetups in other categories. Unfortunately, the organizer, you have to have an organizer designated for each uh, group. Uh, they were stepping down. And the group would be disbanded unless someone stepped forward. So I volunteered to do that. And what does the group do, Michael, just so we have the context? So I haven't actually physically attended a meeting <laughs> okay. myself. Previously, I guess, you know, anywhere from, you know, a few people to a good handful of people would get together at a bar or restaurant or at some Irish event and uh, get a chance to practice some Gaelic, you know, whether it's someone who's fluent and just wants to, to meet others to speak or someone like myself just getting started. I think it just sort of uh, lost the motivation because, you know, it's always hard to get people together. And, you know, I'm not sure whether meetup.com would officially disband the group or not, but I didn't want to see that happen. So that's why I stepped up to do it. And even though my schedule can be tough with kids, you know, I can't wait to get together and speak some Gaelic in person to hear other people with their pronunciation and more than likely, I'm sure they're probably more advanced than I am. So hopefully I get to learn from them. Yeah, that's lovely. And tell us a bit about your family situation, because you have a couple of young kids, don't you? We had a, a pair of twin boys born this summer. <laughs> Congrats. We went with very Irish names, John and James. 
we decided not to go for Gaelic names, but here in the U.S. and New York, it's just easier to do plain old English names, and I like mm-hmm. simple names. My daughter's Mary, and now two sons, John and James. Oh, lovely, yeah. So they're three months now and keeping us all busy. <laughs> but they're doing well, are they, John and James? Yes, they're doing great. And did Mary, did she uh, happily welcome them? Oh, yeah. She's been a huge help. She's perfect age, nine years old. She knows how to take care of them. It's been a great summer. Oh, excellent. Um, Our background, we've got a little kid, Liam. He's coming up to two years old now. And my wife, Sasha, is from Slovenia. So we wanted a name in one of our languages, either Irish or Slovene, but it had to work for both countries. So that's really tricky, right? So like you said, yeah, it's like how complicated can a first name get before being a real kind of nuisance? And what we said was, okay, we went with the Irish side of things and Liam was something that they could pronounce. It it kind of works with their phonetics as well. So we settled on Liam and it works well. My wife is Korean, so we also had a similar concern. We didn't want something too complicated. Mm. It happens that both names have been used in our family when uh, the Korean immigrant, my wife is an immigrant herself, when you know they come over here, they usually will adopt an English name and John and James were used in their family. So it covered both sides of our family. Uh, that's nice. That's lovely. And I have to um, admit my ignorance here because I know of Long Island. You said it's in New York, so it's in New York State. And how is it compared geographically to New York City? So technically, I live in New York City. I'm in Queens, New York, which is one of the five uh, boroughs or or counties that make up the city. You know, Manhattan is the heart of the city. And when people here say the city, they usually mean Manhattan. (laughs) But there are five boroughs. The group in Long Island, so that's basically the eastern half of Long Island, the physical Long Island, is Nassau-Suffolk. And the group meets in Bethpage, Long Island, which is sort of in the middle. And the western half of Long Island would be Brooklyn and Queens. It just uh, so happens most of those people that are involved in the group probably were in the five boroughs originally, you know, and then each new immigration group, you know, migrates, you know, out Long Island as they mm. as they mature. So um, many of them have roots in Queens and Brooklyn and the Bronx, uh, Manhattan, you know, and other places. So. I've seen it within my own family. My sisters are now on Long Island. I'm the only one left in Queens. But um, actually where we are now has grown to be like over 50% Asian. So with a, my wife being mm. Korean, you know, we love where we are and it's, we get the best of both worlds. Ah, I like it. And so is there any kind of Irishness around you, like an Irish pub? Or is do you have to basically travel to another, would you say, borough or suburb to get that? No, there's still a fair amount, but like in order to hear traditional music, you know, you do need to go either into the city, into Manhattan, or to another part of Queens, uh, Maspeth, maybe, or Sunnyside. And then, uh, or there's a couple of places I've been going to in Long Island. Long Island is easier to get to sometimes as far as traffic and parking. So it's easier to go out away from the city than it is to go into the city. Mm. But there are a few places that have traditional music or Irish-American clubs. There's a whole handful of different cultural groups that have uh, regular get-togethers, probably at least uh, four or five that I can think of. 
And so there's always something to go to. My parents coming from Monaghan belong to the County Monaghan Society. You know, they have an annual dinner dance and monthly meetings, community breakfasts, all those type of things that usually is in the Bronx or Yonkers. So that's another thing that we do a lot together. We march in the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Yeah, so there's always something. Okay, cool. So, Michael, uh, let's bring us back a bit. So when you were growing up, um, you said your parents were from there. So were you in kind of a Irish family setting or how did it feel like for you growing up? You know, I was very lucky that my dad worked for the airlines and we were able to go home to Ireland almost every year. Oh, well, and, yeah. And that was definitely not the norm. You know, we had other Irish American families that we hung out with, mostly from Monaghan just because that's who my parents socialized with. And, you know, they would only get to go every few years if they were lucky, whereas we mm. were going a lot more. It definitely let me stay in really close contact with my first cousins, my aunts and uncles. You know, growing up, we always were involved with the County Modern Society. So there always was something Irish that we were doing or going to. But where I actually grew up was pretty diverse. It was a lot of Italian, a lot of German some Jewish, some Asian, a little bit of everything. So, you know, my friends and, and everything was very diverse. And uh, we grew up as New Yorkers, really. Mm. So you have a little bit of everything. Yeah, well, it sounds like from your accent anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't doubt you. Yes. So <laughs> when you would travel um, back to Ireland as you were growing up, like, what was the feeling for you? Like, I know when we go to Slovenia, I almost get a false impression. I've realized that because it's always kind of holiday time, vacation time, take it easy time, have a beer. Uh, I don't have to worry about going to the day job or doing day to day stuff. So it, it always feels great. But uh, if I was living there, of course, it'd be a bit different because um, you just have to do your day to day stuff. But was it something that you'd look forward to or uh, what was it like as a little kid going over to Ireland? You know, growing up in where I was in Queens was single family homes, not the countryside, but not quite city, city, you know, not right. like apartment buildings. It was private homes. But going to Ireland, you were in the country and my family all were living mostly on dairy farms. So you would look forward to running around in the fields, getting in trouble, chasing light livestock or getting chased from, you know, by livestock. <laughs> uh, you know, there was always something to do. And, um, you know, there were enough cousins that were my age. So I always had a, people to be with. You know, I hardly remember the adults. You know, I just remember the fun times with my cousins. It was always summertime. So it, the weather was reasonably okay. The rain was nice and warm. I know, obviously, we know why it's green. But, um, you know, that I'm older, I've gone at, at different times of the year. And I've gotten to experience uh, the other months. You know, mm. so I, I can see why, um, I know obviously we know why it's green. You know, it does get cold. Just on a sideline. So somebody asked me recently, when would be a good time to visit Ireland and whether it would be a good idea to visit during winter? So my response at the time was like, you would get, first of all, um, it wouldn't be peak season. So it'd probably be cheaper for you to travel. Uh, the hotels are all available. Nothing's too busy. And you do get a real experience of Ireland. That's the positive side of it. But like, you definitely need to bring your rain jacket and wrap up a bit. So 
What would you say to somebody who's uh, maybe considering to travel off-peak season, middle of summer to Ireland? I definitely think it would be worth it because the scenery is going to be beautiful no matter what, as long as it's not too cloudy that you can't, you know, see far. <laughs> but, um, and, that, and that can be pretty too. And it doesn't stay, it doesn't stay like that for long. There usually is always glimpses of blue sky or, or sunshine through the rain. And we went a few years ago in May, and we got to be there for May Day. So my the town, Castle Blaney, Monaghan, they had a parade. My cousins were marching in a pipe band. So, you know, we got to experience a little bit different part of life, not just the summer vacation side of things. And uh, I definitely think it would be worth it. Stay, pay attention to the bank holidays. You want to avoid the bank holidays. You can be there mm -hmm. during it, but you don't want to travel when everybody else is traveling you know, when they're trying to get away themselves for the weekend. Mm, that's yeah. a good point. And if you're, say, driving, it can be a bit, you know, you won't get traffic jams like I've seen in on the continent in Europe, but uh, it definitely gets busier. That's a great point. So uh, back to your childhood when you were visiting Ireland, were you kind of the star attraction of the area for the time you were there? Like, the Americans are here. Yeah, they definitely always called us the Yanks. <laughs> uh, they called me a Yank. You know, back then, Ireland wasn't the Celtic tiger that it is or was. And my parents, you know, we always came home with goodies from America. My cousins all grew up in a rural countryside uh, setting. So my dad would bring them radios and other things. And uh, mm. it was really kind of like Christmas in the middle of summer. Not necessarily for us, because we're the ones doing the giving. But for us, the giving, I guess, was getting all the chocolate and good Cadbury stuff like flakes and crunchies. Oh, yeah. You know, yes, you were out of place, but then again, you were treated like, you know, I was a Carraher and I was part of the Carrahers and I guess it just felt normal. Mm. Didn't really feel like out of place or, or anything. I mean, sometimes, you know, things were a little different, but by the time I got to be a teenager and was going, you know, they all liked the same music I liked and most of the music I liked was coming from England anyway. Uh, at that time in the early 80s. So it was a lot of common stuff more than, uh, you know, standing out too much. Mm. Oh, cool. So in your perspective, like how, bring us through the journey of the years, how has Ireland changed and the countryside life maybe, has that changed? <laughs> I guess yeah. you'd say it has. Yeah, definitely lots of new homes. And uh, lots of my cousins having jobs, you know, outside farm life. You know, there are maybe one brother on the farm and then the other three are off doing technology jobs or whatever it is. You know, most of them are still reasonably close to home, but they are living in these big houses in the middle of a field where there was never a house before, maybe. But, you know, I guess that's definitely uh, you always have to have room for, for growth. Yeah, personally, I don't know how well these huge houses kind of work in the countryside, but that's more of a personal choice of what kind of house you want to live in. So yeah. I was speaking with my friend Louise uh, recently, where she works in Limerick City. So a colleague of hers basically lives on a farm in West County Clare, so out towards the Atlantic Ocean. This woman's husband is a farmer. They live on the farm. And the woman, she drives... Um, quite the distance to get into work every day, probably an hour or more, and then back out again after work. 
And I couldn't help but feel there was a tension there because they're living on the land where the family has probably been for hundreds of years, I can only guess. And at the same time, if they want to make a living outside of the farm, they're traveling to the city, which in this case is a very good hour of driving through basically country roads. So it's interesting. Like, do you see much commuting just in your family's scenario? Do they drive out to jobs or have they kind of moved to urban areas? A little bit of everything. So you've yeah. got, you know, there's some that are lucky and can be at work in 10, 15 minutes and others are going similar like an hour or so away. Thank the, obviously, the highways in Ireland have changed dramatically. So, you know, you can really get from one place to another as long as you're close to one of those modern roads right. and the traffic's not too bad. You can really move quickly. You know, whereas in the past, it was hard to do that. But mm. the generation after mine, I definitely see them moving away, unfortunately, whether it be to Dublin or to another large city or, you know, even out of the country, Australia, America, you know, wherever. So unfortunately, that isn't always easy when you see people moving away after so many years of people being able to stay. That's true. And do you think if you've seen this in your own family in the past couple of years, do you think it's uh, it's really out of necessity or basically a lifestyle choice that, well, they can move to Australia and make a living for themselves? What's your impression? I would guess it's probably also a little bit of both, you know, that they probably could stay and maybe either be on the government uh, payout or maybe work in a lower income job. Whereas, you know, if you want to have a certain, like you said, lifestyle to get a better paying job, you have to go somewhere else. Mm. Yeah, it's this interesting tension again between the very land where your family has lived, but at the same time, people, there's a lot more mobility and you can basically choose what you want to do and it's up to you. I don't think you have an obligation to your your land or your family. Um, people move in, people move out and uh, you make that decision. But it, yeah, it's a bit sad when you see people moving away. But I do think that immigration out of Ireland in this day and age, it really is out of choice that like, you don't have to go outside of Ireland to get a job. You right. know? But it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, you make that decision. I was going to say also mm-hmm. one thing is Facebook has really changed the way I'm able to stay in touch with all my first cousins, you know, then their children. And it's really amazing because some of them, I feel like I see them almost every day. Oh, really? You know, because they're posting images on Facebook of family, kids, or, you know, whatever they're doing. And it's really cool. And there's even relationships I have with cousins I've never physically met. One family in particular, their father, my first cousin moved to Birmingham, England. I'm friendly with uh, his kids. I wouldn't actually probably recognize him because I haven't seen him in years, if at all, that I can remember. <laughs> but his kids are on Facebook and I see them all the time. So it's really um, a new age for people staying in touch. And you can feel like you're at home you know, with the amount of activity on social media. Yeah, nice. And that would bring us a bit back to the learning the Irish language side of things. Because just give me an idea again. So you're basically new at this or yes. relatively new, let's say. When did you start and why did you start learning to speak Irish? I have been doing genealogy for a number of years, probably 15 plus years in my own family. 
and then I've gotten involved with some different groups. And when it came to studying the origin of my own surname, you need to know Gaelic. And all the reference books, uh, you know, have a, a Gaelic version of my surname, McFarhar. And to understand, you know, where the Gaelic came from, how it got converted into uh, an English version, and then, um, you know, there's multiple spellings and all these other things. Mm. I wanted to know more, and I felt kind of embarrassed a little when I would see Gaelic Irish surnames, first names, place names, or any word, and I couldn't pronounce it, and it was foreign to me. And that, mm. that didn't sit well, and I knew I had to try in a local college started having these courses, or they have been having them, but I discovered that they're there. And it was just this past um, year that I started to go. And then because of the internet now, you know, it's like nonstop. I can do things any second of the day, and I just want to keep going. And, and originally, I, I really just wanted to be able to pronounce and read uh, names and not be embarrassed to, to say things the right way. And I had no intention of learning to speak in terms of conversation or anything like that. And after attending the course, uh, that's changed. I, I now want to speak and I want to learn and I want to move to the next higher levels. Michael, was it scary just to put yourself out just to get to that first lesson that you attended? Yeah. You know, you didn't know what to expect. I tried to make it fun by including my daughter, give us a little extra time together and you know, I always felt out of place because obviously my cousins, they had the advantage of being in Ireland and, and formally learning it in school. And I didn't have that, you know, growing up here. And so I felt a little awkward, maybe out of place. But, you know, I'm glad that I finally took that step and just went and did it, hmm. you know, and got it going. I love it. And what do you feel is, this is hard to estimate, but your medium term goal, like, let's give yourself a couple of years. And I have a feeling that you will keep going unlike. Unfortunately, most people drop out after beginning. So without overestimating what you can do, like, is it that you'd like a simple conversation? Is it that you'd like to understand, be able to read out words that you see written or what do you feel? I would say that I really want to become fluent. I didn't mention it, but uh, I actually had learned to speak Chinese when I was in college, mm. um, Mandarin. And I was lucky that what I learned at that time, I would say it's sort of intermediate level. I've been lucky that I've been able to practice it enough to keep it at that level and not lose it. Yeah. And the thing with Irish is I would want to do the same. And the only downside is when I think about it, you know, if I wanted to go to Ireland and speak, but it's not in my home place of Monaghan, you know, I really have to go to the west of Ireland more than likely. Obviously, the west of Ireland is beautiful, so there's no harm in going there. But I wish that there was more. Or maybe I'll find them. Maybe I'll find the Gaelic speakers in Monaghan and I'll team up with them. But <laughs> Or I'll start a meetup group over there. Mm. You know, so yeah, I'm not, I expect that I would like to, you know, I'm 45 years old now. And before I shuffle off, I would love to be fluent. <laughs> I want to go all the way. Oh, I love it. Um, we had a, a previous episode with uh, Brian Casey, who's uh, an American who moved to Ireland, and I think he's around Castlebarn, County Mayo. I wonder how much of a drive it would be from Monaghan. It's probably a couple of hours, but that would be an interesting meetup if it happened. We're just putting it out there. Yeah, actually, Westport is on my short list of places mm. to visit. Ashley Falls, I don't know how famous it is that you would have heard it, but outside of Westport, there's Ashley Falls. Mm. It's a, a waterfall and a river. 
And it was actually part of the movie The Field. The fight scene in that movie took place at Ashley Falls. And I have a picture of it in my parents' living room that a Russian guy painted from a postcard for them years ago. And it's been in the living room and I've seen it, didn't know it really was a real place until I discovered it, you know, when I tried to Google it. And um, mm. anyway, so it's on my short list to get to Westport. And I hear that it's a very quaint place with a lot of Irish music and, and places to do things. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, out there is, it's lovely country. Westport itself is beautiful. And uh, you've got Crookpatrick Mountain, which is not too far away. So it's the landscape is just stunning, really. When you look around, there's little islands out in the sea and stuff like that. So, Michael, before we finish up, like what I love about speaking, you're speaking about these different things that you do, right? So you're not just trying to learn Irish out of a book or trying to learn out of bite-sized Irish Gaelic online or one little thing on your own. You're doing what you can on your own, but you're reaching out. So you took the proactive choice of, say, being the organizer at this meetup.com group in New York. And I hope that that goes from strength to strength. So you did that. You saw an opportunity of meeting other people. It's definitely scary to reach out. And what if like there's somebody who's been learning for three years and they can speak way more than me? And uh, it's scary. But uh, like Deneen Grow said in a previous episode, I loved it. She said, start something. And that's what you're doing. You're going out there and you're reaching out to people. So I hope that you've given inspiration again to somebody who's listening to this. They feel like they're on their own. They, they enjoy listening to the podcast. But you don't have to be just on your own. You can reach out and uh, find other uh, learners, even if they're not within a few miles of yourself. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, definitely the internet and social media, etc. There's really no reason not to be out there and finding somebody to talk to because really as long as you have a, a wi-fi signal from somewhere you can reach out and find somebody oh i love it michael we'll leave it there and i'll say that anybody listening to this in the next couple of weeks the comment section will be open um on the show notes for this episode so why don't you reach out and leave a comment and let michael know what you thought about hearing his story and whether it gave you any motivation. So, Michael, good I have to say thank you for taking the time of sharing your story. And you never know, we might speak again on the podcast, huh? Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> so to leave a comment on the show notes of this episode, and you'll see links that we put out to stuff we mentioned in the show. So that's at bitesizeirishgaelic.com forward slash podcast, and you can find episode 30. If you're loving the show, the best you can do is leave a five-star review on iTunes. And what those reviews do is help iTunes figure out that people are listening to the podcast, they're interacting, and they suggest it to more people to listen in. And we build our audience. So the more people listening, the better. And that will keep us ticking, keep us going. We're already a year down with the podcast. We've made it through our first year, and here's hoping we'll keep going for another year. So you can send listener questions directly or feedback to me at podcast at bitesizeirishgaelic.com. And thanks to Tsukumo for their music from Japan, which you hear on this episode under Creative Commons license. And until the next episode, Slán Gafoil. Bye for now. <laughs>